Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode in our Linklaters podcast series on greenwashing. My name is Laure de Panafieux, and I head up the Employment and Incentives team in Asia, and I'm one of the ESG champion leads for the region. Today, we will look at a number of challenging questions around greenwashing and the increasing and fairly new debate around green hushing, as well as practical tips for businesses looking to navigate these risks with a few different perspectives. I am delighted to be joined by three fantastic speakers. First, Tom Buchanan, Managing Director at Browning Environmental Communications, the agency that pioneered environmental and sustainability comms and strategy with the UN, the IPCC and the Nature Conservancy, and that now works with a number of leading global corporates on their sustainability PR and comms journey. I'm also delighted to be speaking with Alistair Stewart, one of the global leading corporates with whom Tom works at Schneider Electric. Alistair is the practice leader for the sustainability consulting arm of Schneider Electric. Schneider Electric is widely recognized as one of the global leading organizations at the forefront of sustainable practices and strategy. It was recently also called upon by the French government alongside six other of the CAC 40 heavyweights to support and accompany 3,400 SMEs on their decarbonization journey. So lots to learn from Schneider Electric, clearly. And last but not least, I am also joined by Sarah Martin, counsel in our litigation and investigations team. As one of Sarah's core area of focus and expertise is ESG litigation risk. Tom, Alistair and Sarah each bring different and particularly insightful perspectives to the discussion on greenwashing. We very recently also held a longer webinar where we discussed some of these issues in more detail, but today we'll touch on a few of them. So, Tom, turning to you first, how to spot greenwashing? I think first and foremost, we need to watch out for red flags. Um, having done this for a number of years, um, there, there, there are a couple of, of evident ones. Um, the, the most prominent is vague language. Um, the minute we start seeing too much eco, too much conscious, too much green, um, these terms really, really have, have very little meaning um, and, and they stand out as, as red flags before we go any further. Step two would be doing your research. Um, that would include looking at certifications, um, make sure that these organizations have the right ESG ratings, uh, look at the team, um, their sustainability team, and make sure that the team have the experience to back up their positions. It's crucial to remember that awareness is not experience. And I think most importantly, where claims, targets, and goals have been set, ensure that there is a credible plan to back up these claims. Thank you, Tom. Alistair, could you share with us how you would approach this from the client perspective? Sure, thanks for that uh, question. So if I may just uh, share that greenwashing is top of mind for Schneider Electric, and I'll put that into context for the, the audience. Empty or vague environmental claims or greenwashing risk are not only misleading consumers, but also expose the business to controversy, reputational risk, and potentially lawsuits and fines. So more and more we see customers and stakeholders demanding products and services with a, a lower overall environmental footprint. It's, it's tempting to fall into the trap of overemphasizing an environmental or social claim 
or de-emphasizing negative impacts in our marketing and communication initiatives and, and materials. Just to give you a data point, according to the EU Commission, 53% of greenwashing claims made across the EU are based on vague, misleading or unfounded information. And we'll hear more about that uh, later in the podcast. In light of this reinforcement, complaints and legal cases filed and, and you know, the findings um, that are growing, creating very real reputation and legal risks for companies and brands that are aware of or purposely attempting to overplay the sustainability card. So set the context. What does this again mean for Schneider? So Schneider has revised its, its guidelines for responsible marketing for sustainability. It has accelerated in the last few months and we launched the uh, update in July. Just to give a quick teaser, what is responsible communication? Well, there's three main things and, and working off of what Tom's already said. Choose words wisely, context matters, and be careful not to overpromise. And we'll share more later in the podcast. Thank you, Alistair. And so Tom and Alistair have set the scene very nicely for us in terms of the risks of overpromising, of vague language, uh, and of not being prepared. So Sarah, can we turn to you next? And could you just outline uh, from a litigation risk perspective, how do you see directors and fiduciary duties ought to be considered in this context? Thanks very much, Laura. Um, there's absolutely been a lot of focus recently on the role of the board and on director liability in relation to greenwashing and in relation to climate risk generally, particularly in light of the derivative action filed by Client Earth against the board of directors of Shell for their alleged failure to manage the climate risks faced by Shell. Derivative actions, by which I mean claims filed by a shareholder on behalf of the company against the directors, are not straightforward. Um, and there are a number of procedural hurdles to overcome before the claim can properly be heard. And the High Court in the UK, in fact, did not give permission for this claim against Shell to proceed. The court made clear in its judgment that it is reluctant to interfere in relation to directors' management and commercial decision-making, and will generally take the approach that it is for the directors themselves to determine how best to promote the success of the company. So in short, for the claim to proceed, Client Earth would need to have shown that there is no basis on which the directors could reasonably have come to the conclusion that the action that they have taken and the strategies that they are pursuing are in the interest of Shell and Client Earth were not able to show that. Thank you, Sarah. And so, Tom, facing that risk, could you explain how a business should tackle this from a comms perspective? Sure. Um, and I want to preface this by saying that I, I think a, an answer to, to, to most of the questions that we will cover today and any questions that might follow after is, is, is transparency. Um, for us, what we've learned is truly transparency is the best mitigant against greenwash. In this instance, directors need to engage proactively and consistently with their stakeholders to ensure that they fully understand the company's ESG plans and how they plan to deliver on these. Thank you. And uh, could you outline for the audience um, the, the or explain a bit more the, the green hushing term and trend that has resurfaced, unfortunately, and, and why businesses should also avoid that particular trend? Sure. Um, 
Green hushing is a deliberate attempt uh, by businesses to avoid greenwashing allegations by undercommunicating or otherwise publicly reporting as little as possible regarding progress towards climate objectives. Um, usually this is to do with reputational risk um, or uncertainty. Uh, you can see with all of the scrutiny over the past couple of years why companies, even those who are doing quite well, might be inclined to do this. This is a highly risky space um, and there is really at the moment insufficient guidelines or regulation um, that, that allows organisations to communicate with confidence. Um, and that's why it's so important to seek out the, the right advisors, whether they're your lawyers or your comms professionals in advance. Um, we worked on a report with South Pole which brought um, the green hushing term back into the public dialogue. Um, it found um, rather unnervingly that one in four of the companies who had applied to the science-based target initiative had not published any information about the new targets on their own websites or in their reports. Thank you, Tom. And so, Sarah, coming back to you, to take an example, what should a business do then if it realises it is not going to meet certain of its targets? To echo what Tom has already said, really the key here is to be transparent. Um, so, for example, if a, if a company realises that um, it's not going to meet certain 2030 targets, um, ideally those targets would have considered and provided for the prospect of re-baselining the target when, when acquiring assets, for example. Um, but even if the company has not provided for re-baselining, companies will also need to be clear in their communications to explain why certain targets may not have been met and be ready to explain how certain acquisitions or, or anything else that might have happened along the way is to be considered as part of the overall carbon reduction strategy and the narrative. I think definitely there's an emerging acceptance that transition is not going to be linear and, and a lot of the work to be done now going forward is, is how to articulate that. We've had some clients ask if, if they should just remove 2030 targets from their website, for example, if they realise they're not going to meet them or just not mention them in the next sustainability report. Um, and clearly that's not, not the answer. We are working a lot with clients at the minute in terms of how their targets are articulated to explain what the dependencies are and what the challenges are and what the company is doing to tackle those. And we are likely to see organisations really start to grapple with this in the next few years as we look ahead to 2030. Thank you, Sarah. And Alistair, I think it is right for us to turn to you, um, representing Schneider Electric, to uh, leave us with a few parting thoughts and tips as to what practical steps businesses can take to proactively mitigate the risk of greenwashing or green hushing, and also just learn from the Schneider Electric journey. Thanks, Laurie. I'll, I'll share what I, what I can here. And it, it, it builds on uh, what both Palmer st stated and, and Sarah just now. So what have we done? We've got a revised playbook and we've created a dedicated sustainability section in our brand portal. Revised guidelines, environmental claims, sustainability guide for events and sustainability campaign guidelines. These are the main three that give our managers and our employees guidance when they're engaging with uh, the, the business community on how we should be seen developing our sustainability. 
Some new rules were also put in place. So the do's, number one, do be precise. Number two, do provide evidence. And number three, do show the whole picture because sustainability is an interconnected ecosystem. Some of the don'ts that we've got listed in our rules, don't give irrelevant information, don't make unrealistic promises, and don't make unproven claims. Probably fairly obvious your audience is thinking, but get these written down and get everybody to commit to them. Now, in terms of examples, uh, I want to focus on one, supply chain decarbonisation. On the Schneider website, you'll see our zero carbon project. And this was initiated to tackle the emissions in our own supply chain. This is essentially the scope three, consisting of emissions upstream and downstream of a company's operations. And where most companies struggle to understand their emissions. So lessons we've learned from our own experience at Schneider and work on going with clients. The most deliberate focus must be on training. This is because you'll find a broad maturity of sustainability knowledge and motivation across your supply chain. I must emphasize building time and resources for repeated training. That's engagement at the management level and engagement at the working level. We have a framework. So if you do want some knowledge on that, get in touch um, if you'd like to know more. And I think that's where I'll finish, just giving some tips on the rules and the guidance for sustainability communication. Thanks very much, Alistair. Thanks very much, Tom, Sarah. A lot to unpack here. And definitely worth listening to our longer webinar where we explore these topics in more detail, including what a company should do if they think they have been inadvertently greenwashing or if they are at the receiving end of a complaint or challenge that they have done so. And so engagement, both at the leadership and with your engine room is key. Remember these tips from Tom, Alistair and Sarah, and please do reach out to any of them if you would like further support on this journey. Thank you very much for listening.